Blog Talk Radio. And good day to you, friends, and welcome to episode number three of the Pepper Mindset on Recipe Records Radio Show. I am one of your hosts, Lena Stagg, the author of the Recipe Records Cookbook Series. My co-host and the author of the Pepper Mindset Show platform, our Pepperland principal, Sean Gaylord will be joining us in just a minute, along with today's featured guests, John Lennon expert and author Jude Sutherland Kessler, and also author Terry Whitney, also known as The Rockin' Rhymer. She has this awesome poetry book. Sean and I thank you for tuning in to the Pepper Mindset shows. And if you've missed the last two episodes, you can still find them on Blog Talk Radio. They are in the archives and should be fairly simple to find. You can just put Pepper Mindset or Recipe Records into the search bar and the episodes should come up quite easily. I want to extend a sincere thanks to our fabulous program support, our own Jeff Emmerich, Rand Kessler, who is also the the lucky husband of our guest, Jude Sutherland Kessler. And I also have to send out a huge bravo to Jay Kelly of Jay Kelly Art. He has he designed the Pepper Mindset logo that might or might not be flashing on your show episode. It is such he is such a fabulous talent and artist. So um thank you very much, Jay, for creating this logo for our great show. And we also want to thank Nicole at nine ten public relations for all of the support and help with getting our show going. Next week's show is going to be so fun. It's titled, When You've Seen Beyond Yourself, Global Connections. Our guests are going to be authors Aaron Kadovich and Marty Edwards. Aaron's been on the radio show before, and he's a, he's a lot of fun and really interesting. And Marty's a new author in the Beatles world. I have to tell you, I am sitting here staring at a couple of remaining crumbs, which I can't even believe there are any remaining, from a slice of strawberry pie forever. And I'm telling you that pie is intoxicating. The recipe happens to be in Recipe Records, a culinary tribute to the Beatles, which you can find on Amazon, of course. But the most special part of this recipe is that it was contributed to the cookbook by none other than our esteemed guest today, Jude Sutherland Kessler. And of course it would be a recipe named after a John song, but <laughs> it is a fabulous recipe and it <clears throat> excuse me. 
It came from Jude's beloved mom, Maxine, who is watching over us today. And we, um, everyone just raves about this strawberry pie. You need to get the book and check it out. So, Sean and I are very, very honored to have our two fabulous guests today, Jude Sutherland Kessler and Terry Whitney. Terry is going to join us shortly, and you're going to enjoy hearing some of her poetry from her book, Any Rhyme at All. But first, we want to welcome your John Lennon expert, and the author of the John Lennon series, a nine-volume nine series. Did you hear that? The number nine? Which documents the life of John Lennon as a narrative history. And Jude's been researching, researching John's life for nearly 32 years. And all you have to do is look at one of her books with all of the footnotes and all of the proof that goes behind all of the events that happened to John. It's extremely thorough. You can find her books at johnlennonseries.com or at Amazon. And I highly encourage you to grab them while you can and prepare for the release of her latest volume in the series, which is due out next fall. It's titled should have known better, which documents in detail John's life from March 1964 to March 1965. What an exciting period of time. She is very caught up in that time period. She is also a contributor on Ken Womack's book, Things We Said Today. <clears throat> She's the official fest blogger for the Fest for Beatles fans. You can find her blogs at thefest.com. And this busy lady is also the chairperson for the fabulous Beatles at the Ridge Beatles Festival in Walnut Ridge, Arkansas, next September. She is in charge of the Authors and Artists Beatles Symposium. Um, our guest today, Terry, and our guest last week, Ken, and myself will be there. Jude gives a fabulous program every year, so she will be there, of course. She's also been the chairperson for the Grammy Museum Beatles Symposium. She is such a dynamo, and even though we know the Beatles worked eight days a week, I don't think they ever worked as hard as this brilliant writer who is also my dearest friend, who is always so giving of her time and talent, and I really appreciate her taking the time out of her busy research time to be on the show today. And I am going to see if I can get connected with Sean. Hello, Sean. Did I click on the magic number? Yes, I have stumbled here into Studio 2, Abbey Road Studios. Hello, Lena. Hello, Sean. Great to hear your voice. It is great to hear yours. And, and I have to say, I don't know if it's the spirit of, of John Lennon 
or if it's uh, Jude's influence, but I'm I'm feeling a little uh, wacky with wordplay today. I'm feeling a little mischievous as John John was. Um, I'm I'm feeling not like the Pepperland principal, but I'm feeling like a middle school student right now, cutting up. Oh, maybe a little like a walrus. Goo 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 baby. <laughs> That's great. Well, I'm sure it's Jude's influence because she has that influence on us with um, with her connection with John. So speaking of connections, let me see if she is on the line. And hello, I Jude. Are here. you there? I am here. It's not you are here. I am here. You are here. We are all <laughs> together, baby. <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> Thank you for such a wonderful introduction, Lena. That was so very sweet, and I appreciate all of your sweet words, and especially about my mom. I, um, she was a great lady, and if I could ever live up to that category, that would r- truly be something. And, Sean, thank you so much for inviting me to be on the program. You guys, we got to talk us some John Lennon here. <laughs> Absolutely, Jude, and we uh, I'm just thrilled to have you here with us, and, uh, you know, somehow, you know, maybe uh, when you're on, because you're coming back uh, a little bit later in the month, we, we need to have the, the uh, number nine, number nine plane in the background uh, as, we as we talk. <laughs> we need to have that. <laughs> we do. We'll and, get Jeff Emmerich and, on that. Yes, you know, let's get let's <laughs> yeah. fly in, Jeff. You know, we, we are here in his studio, you know, we've... You know, hopefully uh, the the security guards at Abbey Road Studios won't throw us out as we have snuck in and we're wreaking all kinds of uh, jabberwocky and 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 revelry here. <laughs> well, we just have to watch out for the apple scraps. Woo! Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes, definitely. Well, well, speaking of watching out and 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 talking and and you know all of. Uh, the, the, the fun that we're having right now. We're, we're t- our topic today, we're talking today about changing my scene and the about face that the Beatles did when they quit touring in the summer of 66. Everything changed from the, the music they made to their appearance and attitudes toward Brian and each other. Uh, they began to be more independent and, and singular. So Jude, as, as a Lennon biographer, and I have to say here, I am so grateful uh, for uh, your copy that you sent to me of, of She Loves You, and I've, I've been kind of plowing, plowing through it, and, and I've pre-ordered, uh, or actually not pre-ordered, but ordered the other, the, the other books because I want to read them all in, in, in chronological order. Um, I just think it's masterful what you're doing uh, as a Lennon biographer. Um, was that in your mind a, a good thing or a bad thing? Well, you know, it's really hard to say. I mean, it depends on on really who who you favor in the band and what direction you want the band to take. If you want the band to remain a wild, raucous, um, unscripted bar band, or whether you want the band to become mm-hmm. Beatles 2.0, that studio band, on whether it's a good or a bad thing. But as 1967 slips into existence, it becomes at least a very significant thing because John begins to relinquish leadership of his group. And when he does, there's that crack in the foundation of the group that begins to widen because the group was founded on the premise 
that John was going to be the leader and things were going to transpire a certain way with him as the leader. And when that leadership begins to shift and Paul becomes the leader, that contract is tacitly broken and things begin to change just a little bit. But the thing is, is it good or is it bad? Well, it's just major. It's major is what it is. And I used to live in a little city called Morrisville, Pennsylvania, which is just a few miles out of New York City. It's halfway between New York and Philadelphia. And on the day that the Twin Towers were hit, that afternoon I was driving to work, had the radio on, and I was listening as they were interviewing everyone connected with the Twin Towers. The Twin Towers had fallen, the buildings around it had fallen, and they had the engineer for the Twin Towers on the radio. And they said to him, okay, can you explain to us why the buildings collapsed? Go through that with us. Walk us through it. And he said, you're totally asking me the wrong question. What you should be asking me is why they stood as long as they did. Why did they stand for so long after those planes hit them? And that's really the question we have to ask ourselves in 1967. How did Paul and John make it all the way from 1957 to 1967 together? Because from day one, from the minute that Paul crosses from the Boy Scout field over to that church hall at St. Peter's Church at the Wilton Garden Fet, and he meets John, and he plays 20 Flight Rock, John stares at him, and he goes, oh, man, this guy's smart. (laughs) He's talented, perhaps more talented musically than I am. He can remember lyrics. He knows how to tune a guitar, something John couldn't do. And these guys love him. So what do I do? Well, he definitely doesn't ask him to be in the band, that's for sure. He goes home, throws himself on his bed in his upper room above that glass-in porch in Mendips, and he starts to weigh it out. If I let him into my band, he's dangerous. He's going to struggle to be the leader. There's no doubt about it. He's going to struggle to be the leader. He's a coup waiting to happen. So do I let him in or do I not? And, of course, you know, we all know what happens. He sends Pete Shotton. Of course, John doesn't do it himself. He sends Pete to invite Paul to be in the band because that's what's best for the Beatles. And my husband is a big, big Trekkie. So with a nod to Star Trek, I'll say from Star Trek II, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. And so John knows, man, his needs are not going to be met. And he's right. He's totally 100% right because from the very minute Paul gets into the band, he starts to take over. He comes to John and says, I got this friend who goes to the Liverpool Institute with me, and uh, he's so talented, and I want you to give him an audition. And so John hears this kid, this 14-year-old baby audition for him on the top of a double-decker bus. What did he really play? Raunchy, guitar boogie, we don't know. There are all kinds of rumors. But but George Harrison plays something, and he plays it so well that John, again, knows he should let Paul's friend into the band, but he doesn't want this 14-year-old, so he ignores it. What does Paul do? He pushes it. He brings George with him without asking John to a gig at the Morgue Skiffle Cellar, and John says, what's he doing here? And, you know, oh, yeah, he's come to play with the band. And John's like, well, who said he could? And Paul's like, well, I told him he could. And so George is in. See, Paul's pushing 
from day one. He, George and Paul then unite together, and they try to get Pete out and get Ringo in. And John keeps saying, no, you know, we're not going to do that. Pete's my mate. I like Pete. He's in the band, and not until Cynthia gets pregnant. And John's attention is taken away from the band. He's getting married quickly. He's doing all that. Does he finally say to Paul and to George, okay, just do what you want to? But for, you know, forever after that, John says that the release of Pete Best was the most shameful thing that they ever did. So, again, you know, Paul's making a move. So I guess what I'm trying to say, Sean, is that what's happening in 1967 as Paul takes over Sergeant Pepper and this is his project and his baby, this is nothing new. You know, of course, yes, they've quit touring. They've experienced independence. Um, but what's happening with Paul producing, running, and starring in Sgt. Pepper has been happening since day one, since Paul and John met each other. And with each LP, John has moved a little bit more and a little bit more away from the leadership of the group, and Paul has moved a little bit more, a little bit more forefront. So, yeah, that's what we're that's what we're seeing with the release of this LP. It's a gradual shift, and it's finally starting to be noticed. You know, and I, I really appreciate anyone who quotes the superior of all the Star Trek movies, uh, Wrath of Khan. So, uh, live long and, and prosper. That is, we we could do a whole show on that. And yeah. And, and and the other thing, and you, and you mentioned George's age, and I'll get to my second question in just a second. I mean, think about this. Lennon is all of 16 years old. These guys are babies. And, yeah. and to make such a complex leadership decision or a decision yeah. for the group, I mean, this is – I mean, this is something I've shared with with with, with teachers about um, you, in terms of making decisions. I use that decision of John deciding Paul should be in the band is is, is such a significant, astute decision from a kid. It's, yeah. I mean, it's just it's so powerful. So I I, uh, I love how you frame that. So, so the, the thing obvious is, question, you know, we're dealing with someone who has read the collected works of Balzac by the time he's eight. Um, That's right. That's right. Yeah, he's a genius. You know, in tune with the world, in tune, you know, with uh, with with a lot of things, in tune with people. I mean, he was a you know, with 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 a few exceptions, he was a pretty good read on on people. And um, and and again, man, I just uh, I I love how you frame that. Um, So so you know, leading up to. June first, nineteen sixty-seven, when when Pepper is is released. What what is going on with John that that causes this this uh, relinqu- this relinquishing of the leadership of the Beatles? Well, I guess for for everyone listening and everyone who's going to listen to this um, later, let, let's first talk about what this band means to John. Because if you don't know John, you may not know this. This is John's everything. His everything. His parents have, for very complicated reasons, abandoned him when he's four and a half years old. He's living with an aunt who is all discipline and not a lot of love. She teaches him the right thing to do, but when he says, why are you here for me every day when I come home from school, wanting her to say, I love you, that's why, she always says it's my duty to do so. His uncle, whom he adores, adores, finds out he's seriously ill, and they send John away, and he dies while John is gone. 
gone only to come home and have missed the funeral. I mean, he is no one. The band is everything. So this is the band that he dreamed of, his mother, who comes back into his life when he's a teenager and becomes his best, best, best friend in the world, tells him, John, you have music in your bones. You're destined to become great. You need to form a band because you will be the biggest thing ever. He believes her. He buys into that. And so he forms this band. He hand-selects the members because, believe you me, if at the Morgue Skiffle Cellar in March of 1958, John had turned around and said to Paul, you get that kid out of here. I didn't tell you he could be here, and he's not playing. That would have been the end of George Harrison right there. It was John's band. And if he had said to George and Paul, no way, I'm done with you talking about this Ringo star. Pete is staying in the band. That would have been the end of Ringo Starr because it's John's band. Um, at one point, they all give up the band, and they all get jobs. Paul goes back to school to become a teacher. George gets a job as an electrician's mate, and they quit. And he goes around and knocks on their doors and says, what is wrong with you? You don't give up on this dream. We're going to the toppermost of the poppermost and brings them all back to the band. So this is how important this thing is to him. But He's dealing with the three things that cripple people and bring them to their knees. And everyone who's listening, you probably can guess what they are right now. Money problems, marital problems, loss of a parent. Big, big things. So let's just look at money problems real fast. You know, when Bernie Sanders was running for president, was talking about a 90% income, uh, 90% tax on the rich. And, And everybody was like, yeah, that's right. That's a great idea. Let's revisit that idea in light of the Beatles. The Beatles were working their guts out day and night, never a day off. And when they do have a day off, some Charles O'Finley steps up and says, I'll give you $150,000 to play on your day off. They never have a chance to breathe. They work all day. They do interviews at night. They get home at 10 and 11 o'clock at night when they're home. They go back to work at 5 the next morning. They're working their guts out. And the British government is taking 90% of their earnings. And they're furious about it. George is writing tax man about it. So then on top of that, EMI, who is renegotiating their contract, is withholding two million pounds because they can't renegotiate the contract. When they finally do renegotiate it and they give them the money, they know they're going to lose 90% of that hard-earned money to the government. And so their accountants come to them and say, guys, do you want to just give all your money to the government? In other words, just donate your salary, or do you want to do something with this money? Well, they said, well, like what? Well, Clive Epstein, Brian's brother, knows that Brian knows music, and he knows what's going on with Brian, and Brian is losing it. Ever since they quit touring, Brian doesn't feel loved or needed or wanted, and his life is becoming terrible. So he says, why don't you guys buy a record store? You know, Brian could help with that. Well, oh, no, that's too stodgy. That's too, ah, we don't want to do that. That's too much like a workman. We want to do something exciting. John wants them to buy into a Marks and Spencer, which is a, a kind of like a Penny's clothing store. It's a affordable clothing. That's where they used to get their turtlenecks when they were playing in the cavern and their tennis shoes, their plimsolls. Paul says, no, 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 no. We want to do something better than that, a boutique. And so they compromise and do, of course, the Apple Boutique. 
have the fool, this group of designers come in. They've been designing clothes for the Beatles and for their wives. They've painted John's gypsy caravan and his guitar, and they bring the fool in to run it, and that's the beginning of Apple. But everybody who's a Beatles fan knows what's going to happen. Apple is going to suck the life out of them. It's going to drain their energy, drain their creativity, cause them to get into arguments, money problems, always something that trips you up. Then, number two, talked about what's happening with Brian. When they quit touring, he feels like he's out of it. He listens to Sgt. Pepper being played and burst into tears because he knows they don't need him anymore. They're not going to ever tour again. They're not going to stand on the stage. They don't need his theatrical expertise. They don't need to tell them to bow from the waist anymore or to stick with the playlist or not to throw sandwiches at the audience. He's done all he can do, and his day is over. So he starts gambling, drinking, taking pills, making bad choices. And, look, everybody can see that he's beginning to move toward the end of his life. So John sends him a lavish bouquet of flowers and writes on the card, I love you, Brian. I really mean that, John. Well, a couple of months later... Brian's dead. And, you know, whether it was intentional or an accident, everybody always debates that. All I can tell you is everybody knows it's going to happen. And John says, I distanced myself from him because I knew I was going to lose my dad all over again. I was going to lose my Uncle George all over again, so I separated myself from him. And what happens when Brian goes is John loses his center. Brian was the one that would organize him and say, John, it's time for you to go to that interview. John, it's time for you to record. John, so-and-so is here to see you, and you're not going to see him, or you are going to see him. So now there's no one to direct John anymore, and he's at loose ends. And very last thing, and the most important thing of all, is that his marriage is falling apart. And people that try to tell you that there was all only Yoko are so, 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 so wrong. Cynthia Lennon, yeah. you can ask Tony Barrow, you can ask Larry Kane. They will tell you that Cynthia Powell Lennon was John's piece. He called her every single night from his tours, every night. He didn't have to do that, but he wanted to do that. She, like Brian, calmed him down and centered him. So now he's met Yoko, and there's no texting, there's no email, there's no Instagram, but there are letters. And she's sending him 15 to 20 letters a day that say, breathe. Look at the sky. She shows up at every party that they go to. She jumps into a taxi between John and Cynthia, wedges herself in. He is seeing her everywhere he goes. And I'll tell you a quick and very sad story that will illustrate what's going on in his mind at this time. When he's in the movie How I Won the War, just shortly after Pepper comes out, um, they have a, a release party at Cilla Black's house. And... John and Cynthia show up, and John immediately abandons Cynthia and begins talking with other people and flirting with people who are there and everything. So Cynthia goes up to Scylla's bedroom and climbs into her wardrobe. And a man comes up there to use the bathroom, hears someone breathing in the wardrobe, opens the door, and there's Cynthia. And he says, well, what are you doing up here? And she said, I am going to stay in this wardrobe as long as it takes to see when John finally notices I'm not at the party. So the man closes the door and walks off. Well, a few minutes later, Scylla comes up, and she says, Cynthia, what are you doing? Cynthia says the same thing to her. 
And Phyllis says, get out of the wardrobe, Cynthia. He's never coming for you. Wow. And that's where things were. Well, you take those three things and you put them together, and suddenly the band, which has been everything to him, isn't as important anymore. And so he just lets Paul have it, and that's what happens. Voila, Sergeant Pepper. Wow. And in, and in light of that, though, you know, the, the album does possess some of John's enduring contributions. Um, I mean, he, he does still write some of the greatest songs on, on the record, right? He does. He does. And if we could couple the 45 that's released, that double A-sided 45, and throw in Strawberry Fields in the mix, he'd have four of his greatest records. Lucy in the Sky, a brilliant song. I wish we had time to talk about it because it foreshadows Yoko. So much of it talks about what's going to happen, you know, with her. That's really a lot of it's about her. Mr. Kite, even though Mr. Kite uses the lyrics from that poster, the music is brilliant. Of course, we give a huge nod to George Martin for that. I mean, he did a lot of that, but it's a great song. And then that record, which Rolling Stone says is the greatest song of all time, A Day in the Life. But but what you've got to compare these great songs to is the fact that this is John Lennon. This is a man whose voice alone, with no musical backup, opens with the Beatles. It won't be long, just John opening it. The guy who always sang seven of the 14 songs on every LP, who dominated A Hard Day's Night. It's his album. It's just John. I mean, he would get offended if if Paul had four or five songs. John counted the songs. He was the guy that, when he was sick with flu and dead tired after 10 hours of recording, forced himself to sing, twist, and shout and to get it in one take so that it becomes that powerful closing for that Please Please Me LP. Now, he's got three songs. And although they're good, he's got three songs, seriously. That's a big change for him, you know. Hey, dude, and and Sean, I am so sorry to interrupt, but there is, it looks like it's an international phone call, and I'm going to click it on and see who this could be. Hello, caller, are you there? Hello, how does this thing work? Can you hear me? (laughs) Hello. I can hear you. Yes. Hello, I'm calling from across the pond, except that you're here at the Abbey Road 2 Studios. So you must be across the pond. <laughs> I fainted in case anyone wants to know what's going on. I'm out cold on the floor of the kitchen. I wondered what it that was. It was awfully quiet. Yeah, I heard that thump there, you know. <laughs> you Judas fallen and can't get up. <laughs> I want to hear more from this caller. Yeah, who is this guy? Well, well maybe you will hear more. When when we meet in September in Arkansas. I thought it might be you. You have that distinctive sexy and yet California edge to you. That's right. Because I'm in me last weekend. I love you, man, and you know that in your John personification and your other many personifications, you are the best of the best. You're the best of sellers, dude. 
A lot of people living in this hat here. <laughs> As it were. Sorry to interrupt. Continue. It was you made my day. There's no doubt about that. Well, it it is good to have John with us, and and I, he must have heard us talking about about him. So well, this it's good is, to be uh, had. <laughs> I gotta say, I was kind of having a bad day, but now I'm having a great day. <laughs> Glad to be of service. <laughs> Jude, do you want to tell us, uh, tell tell the folks who who might not be in on the joke, who our guest is really is? Yes, this is the one and the only Alan Bernhoft, who, in my opinion, is the number one John Lennon impersonator in the world. He is also the um, artist who performed four and maybe five Beatlesque Beatlesque CDs. I think he's got a new mm-hmm. one coming out very soon, and he is thinking about Just coming. finishing it up, yeah. You are finishing it. Good. Will you have it when you appear at Beatles at the Ridge, hopefully in September? Oh, yeah. There's going to be a, uh, a preview uh, very, 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 very soon of one of the songs. <laughs> oh, good. Yes, there is. <laughs> yes. Very soon. Oh. Oh, really soon. Okay, well. We are really hoping that he will be there for Beatles at the Ridge, September 15th and 16th, and and I'm hoping that he's going to come with his full John Lennon regalia. I've invited him to do a concert from 3 to 4 in the studio on Main Street that day, so everybody say a prayer that it will happen. Oh, yeah, it looks like uh, I'm thinking I'm going to be there, so yeah. Yay, yay. You're also an author and have written many books, and you've directed movies. You do it all, don't you? Yes, I'm busy, but I can take time out like you to do this fantastic blog talk radio show. There you go. What you, are you alanbernhoff.com? Is that right? That's what I am, yes. All right. You're so sweet to call in. And this is such a Alan, treat. Alan is is just so fabulous to to um, call in and play along with our fun today. And I can't thank you enough, Alan, for all the many messages back and forth with in uh, with Corky Lena or Penny Lane. Oh yeah, Penny Lena. <laughs> Penny Lena. <laughs> <laughs> And I can't wait to hear the rest of the show. I didn't want to cut in and, and interrupt too much. I loved it. You, you, It was great. Thank you so much, Alan. I'm really excited to meet you in September. Okay. I want to sing the song. Um, different band. And uh, we will uh, looking forward so much to seeing you perform. And look, it's just going to be totally great. So listeners, be sure you check out BeatlesAtTheRidge.com so that you can see Alan and of course Jude too. But um, Alan was so kind to send his a, a new cut from his CD. So we are going to take a listen of, at that and wish John many, many 
good wishes across the pond. Thanks very much. Goodbye. You've got a lucky face. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye, John. Bye, John. Thanks, man. I'm a dreamer from Alan Burnoff. Thank you so much for um, letting us get a preview of that. Is Jude and Sean still still there? Yeah, that was great. That was beautiful. That was absolutely that was awesome. beautiful. Yeah. He's a talented guy. He really is, and uh, you know the, the John John impression is is a is a tough thing to pull off, and 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 you know just in voice, but musically, I, I really like the you you really do hear the John influence uh, in that very free as a birdish. Um, yeah, yeah. Like the great track, great track. Yeah, really Absolutely. was. That was so so nice of him to do that. Thank y'all so much. Well, we wanted to brighten your day and add a little Lennon to to the mix. So, all, all credit <laughs> to Penny Lena for the scheming on on that one, and I, I just happily went along with the joke. So, the fun, so well, it was great. I, I love, Alan actually is from. We're from the same part of of Louisiana. We grew up only about forty miles apart. And never knew it until we met through the Beatles. But I, when I lived in Shreveport, Louisiana, I lived only two streets from where his parents lived. And his dad and my dad passed away three days with, from each other this year. So we have a lot in common. I say he's my brother from another mother. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I guess that would mean you're, what, Julia Lennon, perhaps, to his John Lennon? What was John's sister's? Julia, that's exactly right. Julia, Julia any day of the week. Oh, yeah, that's a great one. There you go. So um, 
Jude, we've really enjoyed uh, this this uh, conversation, and I, and I know that you'll be back in, in, in a couple of weeks, and it has really been a treat for me to talk with you. I uh, I have followed um, your your work, and now that I have your book in, in, in my hands, I'm excited to 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 read it cover to cover and I would always look longingly at the fest for Beatle fans uh catalog and you know see you as a featured speaker and think oh man she just seems like a really cool person so I'm glad that that we are we are connected and 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 that we'll we'll be friends and Beatles and friends in general so uh well, thank this you. this has just been awesome it's been a great honor for me. I've really looked forward to it. And any day that you're talking about John Lennon is a great day. And thank you to you and thank you to my dear, sweet bestie, Lena, for having me on. And you guys are doing a marvelous job with this. Keep rocking. Enjoy, Terry, and I'll be listening in. Absolutely. Thank and you and so next much. time, Jude, when you're. Be- thank you, pal. And when you're on the show, you, even though next time you, you gave us a little bit of. It won't be long, and that did not go unnoticed. That was quite impressive. Next time, I want to hear you belt out Mr. Moonlight. Oh, yeah, I'll open with that. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, she loves Mr. Moonlight. You have to be careful. I actually do. Mr. I love that song, too. That song is so underrated. That is one of the best, in in my estimation, and I'm sure Beatle fans right now are turning off the show and tweeting out, what is he thinking? But... But I'm telling you, that is one of the best, one of the top three best John Lennon vocals in the Beatles, and I, and I stand by that song gladly. Well, and I'll tell you this, Dr. Kid O'Toole did a, a presentation on the, the top ten Beatles sounds, and John's mm-hmm. voice opening Mr. Moonlight was one of the top ten. You don't, it doesn't get any better than that, really. It it, it, it really doesn't. It is one of the best. I, so I, I, it's good to know that I'm not alone. All no, these years. not at all. All right, I'll say adieu. Thank you guys so, 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 so much. Shine on. Thank you, Jude. You are, you are the best. Love you, Take Lena. care. Bye. Bye. Love you, too. Okay, Sean, I'm going to see if we have our next guest on the show. I don't recognize the number, but I think that perhaps it could be. Hello, is this Terry? Fingers crossed. Yes, it is. Hello, Terry. This is Terry Whitney, the Rock and Rhymer. So happy to have you on the show, Terry. I've been just sitting here listening to Jude. She's always a joy to listen to. She absolutely Absolutely. is, and it's a joy joy listening to you and having you here uh, with us, uh, Terry, here on the, the, the Pepper Mindset, the Rockin' Rhymer, and, and for those of you who, who are not familiar with our our friend Terry, let me let me just read a little bit about, give you a little bit of background uh, about her from her uh, little biographical sketch that I have here. From a young age, Terry Whitney had two strong passions: music, the Beatles in particular, and writing poetry. With encouragement from family and friends, she combined the two and started writing poems about how the Beatles' music had affected her life. She now shares her memories and thoughts in her first book, Any Rhyme at All, which is a play on the Beatles' song, Any Time at All, for those of you listening and not knowing. Terry Whitney resides in a small town outside of Grand Rapids, Michigan. There must be something about 
the Beatles in Michigan because our pal Nicole is 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 from there is there and so I, I, that's a state I need. She's a neighbor. <laughs> yes, I need I need to visit up there to see what's going on with all these Beatle fans. Uh, so Terry resides in a small town outside of Grand Rapids, Michigan, where she also works as an accounting specialist and continues to write as well as enjoy the Beatles every day. Terry, welcome to the Pepper Mindset. Let Penny oh, Lena, you. and that's Penny. I'm going to refer to her from now <laughs> as that. Uh, and I, I'm telling you, I'm goofy today. Um, well, that's okay, then. All right. All right. Yeah. Welcome. Um, Thank you. It's great to have it's it's definitely a thrill to have you here and it's definitely uh as as someone who is in education and my teaching background is is English and uh I just love, you know, teaching poetry and I would always find an excuse in in my classes to integrate the Beatles into um into my lessons and uh sadly your book was not not in my hands uh at the time I was teaching um so for for um for those of us uh who are who are fans of poetry and fans of the beatles this is just a great uh treat with the book tell us a little bit about the the origin of of the book and and how you were able to merge these two passions together okay well I've always had a passion, of course, for music. I was brought up with a family that was very music-oriented. And I fell in love with the Beatles at the age of nine. And at the same time, though, when I was in school, I started writing poetry. I really seemed to like it. And the more that I heard the Beatles, and John was my favorite. So, of course, when I heard that he considered himself a poet as well, then I knew it was cool and okay for me to do. (laughs) So I had a lot of people that would ask me that, and that's how I would usually answer it. And so when the book came about, I had written one single poem, and I had gone to Beetlefest and actually uh, recited it in Deco's Poetry Jam. The following year, I wrote another one, but that one I didn't take there. But I had given it to Jude, as a matter of fact, and she read it on her radio, and she made me feel very well. And in talking to my family and friends, everybody said, you know, you can do this. Go ahead. So I figured, well, let's see what we can do. So I got with Nicole, and we decided for 30 poems, and but by the time we got through, I think it ended up 34 or 35, because I think I could have kept going. <laughs> so, yeah, it just all came together, because it was easy for me to write, and plus it was fun writing. And that's that's the most important thing, and I mean, that is the spirit of, of the Beatles. For them, it was, it was fun to perform, you know, it was fun to to be together in their camaraderie and, and all that. And we've been talking about John Lennon uh, in this particular episode, and we talked about John extensively with, with Jude, and you, you mentioned John as as a poet. What is it about his his poetic sensibility that that, that appealed to, you, to your poetic sensibility? Well, I think it was more about the fact that his poetry wasn't always clearly understandable for some people, but it was what he felt and what he, you know. 
So that kind of told me you can express yourself in just about any way when it comes to poetry. And so that's kind of why I liked it so much and the fact that, you know, of course, like I said, he was my favorite, so that made it even better yet. Of of all the John songs, and, and there are so many, and, and I'll, I'll even in, I'll throw in solo, uh, John, wh- which songs kind of stand out to your poetic ear? You know, what, what lyrics... Um, you know, really, you know, as as a poet, you go, wow, he that 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 could stand alone as as a poem in an anthology or or a textbook. Well, you know, we're talking about the Sergeant Pepper a little bit too, and I I noticed something on the album lyrics. The first two songs on that are actually, if you take the part of the chorus out and everything, mm-hmm. and read the, it's just like reading a poem. And that's one thing that I liked about John and Paul's writing, too, was the fact that it was very poetic in a lot of ways. So as far as my favorite with John, it's funny you said, you know, Mr. Moonlight, that's one of my favorites. Yeah, it's a great song. Thank you. I'm that, not alone. That, it's another person, another fan. No, no, that's always I'm been sorry, one of my I'm sorry, I'm anti-moon. <laughs> You're anti-moon. I'm oh. anti-moon. <laughs> Thank That's you, good. Penny like Lena. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Anti moon. Well, yeah. any anyway, you th- we we can form. I, I think we'll be forming our own uh, Mr. Moonlight mindset show. Right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the audience uh, of two. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna follow the sun, guys. Oh. Ah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's good. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and, 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 and to me a song that I that I used to teach uh back in my English uh teacher days and, and I would use it as as a form to to, to to help kids understand what imagery is. Um I you know, I would kinda do these subtle, you know, beetle references but but for me, the mm-hmm. song um, "Across the Universe," which, which is okay. Pr- pretty much a John song. I don't think Paul had any involvement right. in it whatsoever. And 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 I remember, you know, reading. Uh, maybe it was in his his famous Jan Werner, um, nineteen seventy Lennon remembers interview where where John spoke about that song, and he said that song is that's one of the songs that's most me. Um, uh, that that's that's poetry. Uh, and right. he, he he invoked that um, very directly, and and of course he could do that because he did publish um, two books of of, of poetry and verse, poetry, and, right? And, and, in and his word, own right, wordplay. in the Spaniard. Yeah. yeah. How, how, what it, what it, were were any of those readings uh, you know influential for you? I read uh, in his own. A long time ago. (laughs) And I would, yeah, in fact, I had the book right from the start. And I would say, yeah, that I had some of it that did. But I think more than anything, it was the fact that I connected with uh, lyrics and poetry together. And that's why I continued to write like I did. 
Absolutely. Well, Terry, and, when are we going to hear? When are we going to hear one of your yeah. poems? Yeah, well, give us one. Okay. How about songwriters extraordinaire? Since we're talking about the writing abilities. Why not? You ready? Okay. Ready. Lennon and Mc- Lennon and McCartney, the best writing pair, wrote extraordinary songs with passion and flair. The two as a duel really had a knack, giving us music that would keep coming back. What one couldn't think of, the other one did. They tossed back and forth as if playing like kids. One would start the lyric, the other might finish. They truly wrote songs that would never diminish. They covered all bases when writing their songs, something to fit whatever mood comes along. They could take you from sad to flying high. They made us laugh and made us cry. They set high standards right from the start. That's why their songs kept hitting the charts. They wanted to be different and continue to grow, wrote from their hearts and gave us their soul. As times were changing, so did they. The songs grew with them in a cosmic way, keeping it on the edge all the while they proved to broaden with variety and style. The world was in shock. There would be no more days. Hearts were sad as they went their separate ways. Not only as a duel, but on their own, too, we would be amazed of what they could do. Oh, wonderful. I'm I'm reading along in, in your book, uh, I Have That Luxury, and I, I love the, the illustrations, uh, that accompany each uh, each poem. Um, did did you have a hand in in, in selecting that, or I, I, it, did, I, I, those were all done by Jay Kelly, artist? correct? Yes. Okay, the cover was done by Jay Kelly, correct? Okay, but the gotcha. inside, all the inside illustrations were done by my cousin cousin Amy Heinzman, and we kind of collaborated on what we might think might work for it, and she just. Went for it <laughs> and did an excellent wow. job. I think they really are wonderful, and they blend. They they definitely blend well with uh, with the poems and help help with with visualizing as right. as you read as as the Beatles. That's what our were, goal was to do. Oh, great! Well, then I I I was on I was onto something again. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, you um, were because that's what the whole goal was when we discussed doing the pictures with the poems was to try to kind of give people a visualization of it. Wonderful. So that what, worked uh, then, huh? <laughs> it, 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 worked, it worked on me, so I'm, uh, good. I, I'm in. <laughs> I'm in the club. <laughs> That's good. What uh, you, you know, we've got uh, the, the the just just a little bit of time left. Uh, what's what's next? What's what's next on your? Uh, I know I know you you're you're making uh, I believe a couple of uh, appearances and, and and readings. Is that is that what's up next? Correct. I'll be in Chicago at the Beetle Fest in Chicago in August, and I will be a vendor there and stuff with my book finally for the first year. And then again in September, I will be in Arkansas at Beatles at the Ridge with Lana and Jude and everybody. Awesome. And do we have another book? Are we working on uh, a follow-up to any rhyme at all? Yeah. Yes, we are. Actually, I'm just getting started to writing again. 
And this next book is going to be a little bit different. It's not going to be just a Beatles book. But it will be about 50 of the musicians that have passed away. And we've had people that have uh, sent me in some pointers. In fact, Lana, I've been waiting for yours and stuff on what they would like to see me write about. (laughs) I'm still working on that. (laughs) Okay, well, get it to me, girl. (laughs) Lana just got her homework assignment. Yep. I know. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Well, that sounds like an incredible book. Hopefully that'll be coming up in the next year or so. And I've already got the artist, got the list, and so she's working on some of the pictures already for me. Wonderful. It it sounds like uh, one of my, you know, almost akin to one of my favorite uh, collections of poetry called the Spoon River Anthology by Edgar Lee Masters, which they were all elegies, and it sounds like you've got uh, a, a rock and roll uh, elegy collection coming, so we definitely look forward to that. Well, good, good. I know I'm looking forward to getting started writing again. I usually continue to write all the time, not always Beatles stuff or music stuff, you know, but I continue to write constantly. So I'm looking forward into diving into this one, though, because it's looking like it's going to be pretty interesting. Definitely. Well, Terry, thank you so much for for stopping by the the Pepper Mindset, and, and we look forward to to uh, hearing more from you. Uh, the, the name of the book, folks, is Any Rhyme at All, uh, A Beatles Fan's Journey, Poetry by Terry Whitney. And she is also, you can also follow her on Twitter. She is the Rockin' Rhymer. And uh, we definitely appreciate the, the rhymes and the rock that you bring to, uh, to our turntable here at Studio Two. Well, I appreciate and thank both you and Lana for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Terry. Can't wait to see you. See you in Chicago. Yeah, I look forward to seeing you again. Yeah. Take care. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. All righty. Thank you for having me, Lana. We'll talk to you later. Bye. All right, Sean. So we have a lot of information to crank out in turning the... All the all the stories we've heard today in applying that to education. What what is your analysis? Well, I, I would say, Lena, you know, we, we we talked today about, you know, specifically with John Lennon at at the crossroads and the band at at the crossroads, and you know, the Beatles left a very successful touring enterprise and and took a major risk in in um in innovating you know john john lennon you know as as jude talked about at the age of of 17 took a major risk and, and saw that the quarrymen uh needed needed something and he took a risk in in reaching out to paul mccartney a very humbling leadership decision and i think when we talk about connecting this to to education, you know, teaching, it, there is an art and science to that, and and it's a profession that that is evolving. It's a it's a profession that 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 is growing, and the way that you and I were were, were taught um, is is of a different age and a di- different world. And and we as as educators today 
um, are required and and challenged to to prepare our our kids for you know a, a, a different world. I mean, this is the world that that I used to dream of—the future and 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 innovation and, and creativity and all these great things. And 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 the teaching has to reflect that. Uh, we talk about making our kids, or not making it, that's too strong of a word, but inspiring our kids to be career and college ready. And, and, and that's important, but there's also a movement known as future ready and, and preparing our students for uh, an, an innovative age, a way to be thinkers and creators and, and, and to do great things. And that requires teachers to, to provide a positive and inviting environment to provide innovative ways to, to inspire that. And that sometimes requires teachers and principals to, to, to break away from some of the traditional aspects. Um, sometimes a, a worksheet uh, is, is not the best teaching tactic. Perhaps it's a cooperative learning activity because we, we, we want to prepare our students to be global communicators. So the Beatles walked away from the traditional, and, and, and again, think about that risk. This is before MTV. This is before YouTube. This is before streaming where, you know, you, we, we can press a button and, and access music. Touring was a traditional, tried, and proven, and successful way of life for the Beatles. And to walk away from that in a very abrupt way and and to make the the album that that is that that has become for me and, and for all of us a template for uh innovation in the recording industry and an album that that we're still talking about today and right now as we speak teachers are called to do the same thing when it comes from moving away from putting kids in rows or you know chalk and talk as we talk about it or being the sage on the stage we want to prepare our kids to be creative, innovative learners, and we do that by providing activities, whether it's a problem-based learning activity or a real-life experience, um, wh whether it's ditching, you know, there's a movement known as Ditch the Desks, where uh, classrooms are now um, almost like Starbucks and more flexible learning spaces. Um, we also want to inspire student voice, and, and teaching should be a collaborative experience, I believe, between students and, and teachers. And, for, and 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 te you know there are some teachers that that embrace that and jump into that you know just like you know John and Paul and Ringo did and and, and George with recording Sergeant Pepper I mean they leapt headfirst into it and some teachers are are doing a mm -hmm. wonderful job of that and some teachers mm -hmm. are, are scared of that and resistant to that and so I think it's it's incumbent upon other teacher leaders principals lead learners to to continue to push and 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 to continue to stand. Uh, against the grain in service and support of our kids. So uh, sometimes, right. very, um, very true. <laughs> yeah, we got to walk away from Candlestick Park. Yep, I know. Sad, but but you know, change warrants some you know major events warrant major change. <laughs> so yes. that was that was definitely the case. Um, on a side note, and I'm older than yes. you, but I remember being in second grade in the dinosaur age, and no. my teacher was very innovative. She was so innovative, and she um, she had a plastic bubble that that she rigged with a fan, and 
you know, if you had, you know, gotten a certain grade or read enough books or whatever, you got to spend, your, you know, 15 minutes inside that station. And, you know, that was second grade for me. And I remember it all those years and remembering it being such an innovative thing. And, and all the time my kids were in school, I kept wondering, where are they going to pull out the bubble? for these kids because that to me was like that was the greatest thing that could ever happen in the classroom so um, that was just my little side note maybe that's what happened to me with the bubble girl that's awesome but but it but it had a positive impact on you and 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 it stayed with you and and uh, I mean that's that's awesome. I mean, the plastic bubble. I, I, I was, I was visiting uh, a class the other day where kids had taken some shoe boxes and a, a big old cardboard box, and they create. It was really inventive. They created a robot that turned into a house. It's like a transformer, and they and they did this all oh. with, with the box, you know. And and uh, you know, these awesome. were they were so proud of their work, and they were they were talking like little engineers and, and architects, and mm-hmm. you know that. Stuff like That's that makes awesome. this Pepperland principle uh, know that all right, the future. I mean that that act could compel them to design a uh, affordable, innovative, affordable living someday. Who knows? You never know. Exactly. Exactly. You're yeah. exactly right. So the 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 story of um, the Beatles making their change and. Um, well, as we look back and, and think of, you know, how the fans felt felt like they missed out on on seeing them tour, um, it was really what what saved what saved them. And, and you know, a lesson for any you know any educator or anyone that is pushing against the grain from the Beatles is, if if you do that and you stand firm. And and you put and and you walk away from whatever that that stifling or traditional practice is. You have a masterpiece on the other side, and and the Beatles did that first with Strawberry Fields and and Penny Lane and and then Sgt. Pepper. So you know that that's the lesson for educators: hang, hang tough, take that stand, do those things that are innovative that people may laugh and scoff at. Know that. You are creating a masterpiece in service and support of the schoolhouse. Not easy, precisely, but it's worth it. Yeah, precisely. And um, you'll look back and be be happy about the the masterpiece that you created. And um, exactly. So, well, I guess we're ready to wrap it up. If anyone is listening uh, to the live show it, it it it's likely that it was cut off about 6 minutes ago but i know that it <laughs> continues to record <laughs> but yes. it continues to record so the the archived recorded copy is uh it goes goes a few more a few extra minutes so we should be we should be good and i want to remind all of the listeners to check out Sean Gaylord's terrific, terrific blog. It is at www.principallinernotes.wordpress.com. 
And be sure you check out Jude Kessler's John Lennon series.com. Terry Whitney is, I believe, on Facebook and Amazon. It's Terry, T E R R I W H I T N E Y. Everybody, all of us, every one of us are on Facebook and Twitter and probably Instagram and all of that good stuff. It shouldn't be too difficult to find all of us and um, send friend requests and follow and keep up with everything that's coming up. We do have another show next Wednesday, same bat day, same bat time, Wednesday at 5 o'clock p.m. Central. And our guests are, as I had mentioned earlier, Aaron Kadovich. It doesn't look like it sounds in any shape or form. There's some education work for you. Um, phonics does not work on Aaron's name. Marty Edwards is always, always going, uh, also going to be a guest on the show. So be sure you watch for links for the new show and check out our old shows as well. Sean, it is always a pleasure to hang out with you in Studio 2. Is that the right number? I think, and, I think so, if not number 9. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm kind of in Studio 9 for some reason. So I, um, it, it's just a great pleasure to be with you and be a part of the Pepper Mindset, hashtag the Pepper Mindset. Uh, thank you so much for being here, and we will see you next week. That's going to wrap it up. And Recipe Records is food for thought, food for the soul, food for the love of rock and roll.